Hello, and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us here is Jed Brewer. Hey, I've been doing the show for a while now, and I feel like I'm oh. I'm due for, for a promotion. Oh, sure. What is, what's my current title? Am I like a co-host? Like, what am I? Oh, I, I mean, intern is what we have to put the intern? paperwork. That's because we don't okay. pay you. Well, that's legal. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Here's what I want to know is I've been intern for a while now. Can I become like vice intern or like senior vice intern or, or, and this may be too much of a reach. I just want to put it out there though. Could I become chief executive intern? How about interim senior intern? Assistant to the intern. (laughs) (laughs) probationary senior intern jed brewer man i'm honored with us all the way from rokers tennessee uh who knows what his title on the podcast is he can have anyone he wants lee younger i think it is at least a comfort to know that jed if we're not making any money on this i don't think matt makes any money on it either unless there's like a secret patreon that we don't know about no, actually, I spend money on this. It's not much, but <laughs> there's like 50 bucks a year in hosting that I do actually pay. Oh. Dude, Jeez. if you were able to break even, like, you know, it, it's a true fact. If you're a musician and you net more than $50 a year in revenue off of your music, you are beating the pants off of most musicians. Yeah. Let's do this. Before I started do, working in a professional capacity with Jed and Lee, and uh, I, I didn't know anything about music, wasn't a musician, didn't want to be. So I would, it's particularly happens a lot this time of year where there's like, you know, if you're in a, in a city of any size, somebody playing some Christmas tunes on a guitar or a piano or something in the corner of a, a mall or maybe on the street and sign something. And I would walk by and think that poor, poor person. <laughs> oh, how the dream has crashed and this is all they can do. And now when yeah. I walk by them, I know. Even if they're playing in the corner of a restaurant with 20 people in it, I know that person's getting paid. Yep. And right now that puts them in what conservatively the top 5% of successful musicians in the world. Easily. Yeah. So a little hit tip for your friends on the sad podcast. Don't do that. Yeah. Okay. So this is a true fact. Fender, the guitar company, they did some market research where they discovered that if you you know you try and start people to learn the guitar or the bass that like about 90% of them will quit within the first year because it's it's pretty difficult but the ones that stay on in their lifetime will spend an average of $10,000 on guitar related equipment can confirm was that that study <laughs> feels like of an evil level where it was done by the same people who like did the cost benefit analysis for how many people, how many customers big tobacco kills versus how many it yeah. creates every Dude, yeah. year. Yeah. I remember having a conversation with Jed one time and he was like, well, for this, this thing that we're trying to pull off, I, I, you know, I, I think you need this one piece of equipment. I think it'll be useful in future endeavors as well. We definitely need it for this project. How, you know, is, is the, you know, the budget or whatever you got to work with, is that, is it in space to be able to do this? And I was like, yeah, maybe what's it cost? And, and without any hesitation, Jed goes, let me look it up. But just so you know, there is no guitar, anything that's less than $99. So <laughs> he texted back like four minutes later, can confirm it's $107. So. 
<laughs> there's the there was a very popular post that was going around the the internet circles uh, not that long ago where it was something along the lines of uh Amer- life in 2023 going outside costs 17 dollars mm-hmm. and there's a very similar thing to just welcome to guitar center 99 dollars please <laughs> one side of one, yeah, that's exactly right 99 dollars please <laughs> for us to hold in some kind of abeyance while we figure out how much we're actually going to fleece you for <laughs> consider a career in music that's right this this uh, podcast unsuccessfully brought to you by the music teachers of america association <laughs> well you might say that the the economics of the music industry and certainly the cost of any gear associated with would qualify as something that people could gripe about oh and that's mm. Uh, fortuitous for we've hit that magical time of year uh, where it's time to do at least a quick lightning round for Gripesgiving. Oh, how festive. Indeed. Now, um, if you're new to the show or if we forgot to do this last year, which we may have, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> Gripesgiving is a, a, a slight take, a, ch- a slight cheeky little take on the Thanksgiving idea based on the idea that all things need balance. You need yeah. to, it is good to focus on thankfulness and, gratitude and those things but there's also other aspects of life and it's it's nice to have a safe place to get those out as well uh so we we encourage you to join in uh on your own or or you can say it back to the the phone we won't hear it but if it makes you feel better that's fine sure um but first uh because it is a tradition there is ceremony involved and that uh involves an opening invocation from one jed brewer <clears throat> You can't see this because this is not a visual medium, but I'm putting on my choir robe. So uh, a second choir robe over the choir robe he was already wearing. <laughs> Jed's lighting candles. <laughs> Gotta get the proper posture. Really sure, get the, the diaphragm engaged, Jed. Here are gripes. Here are gripes. Here are gripes. Wow, he rolled the R this I year. I'd say that had That's a little right. extra, That's right. little extra mustard on it than previous years. <laughs> Jed, given that uh, I believe the story is that that is a a loving take on an actual run, a run, a vocal run that someone would do at a Methodist church around here yep. our prayers. Yeah, I, I like the idea of you adding a little a little Latin inflection on that. Thank you, thank you. You know what? I don't have many talents in this world, but I can roll my R's pretty good. So I just feel like sometimes I just need to put that in there. Yeah, you know, it's like, let the people know. That's right. That's right. Like you can, you can always see, I think in all fields of endeavor when someone's like, I'm not good at most of this, but I know how to do this one thing, you know? And so, you know, like I'm not very good at crafts, but I can really glitter some things. So everything gets glitter, including the monument for a funeral where it shouldn't have glitter. It gets glitter too. Cause that's what I know how to do. Be like in old <laughs> movies. And they're like, well, there's no reason for there to be a song here. This isn't a musical, but Elvis can't act for 80 straight minutes. And we need to, <laughs> I'm going to sprinkle this in with something a little more. So he just wanders by a campfire and happens to find a guitar. Here we go. Precisely. Yes. Uh, so I, I, will, I will kick off because I think I have a good one. Uh, if you listen to the last couple episodes of the show, you may know a, a very specific to me gripe is having recorded almost 590 episodes of a podcast and somehow still recording one without the microphone. <laughs> I, yeah. I would like to blame Pro Tools. I would like to blame... Mac, I would like to blame really anybody except me whose fault it was. Yeah. 
And also, in the job titles, as I mentioned last week, um, I had to have a very stern talking to with our audio engineer for being asleep at the switch, and our audio engineer is me, so that was weird and awkward. (laughs) (laughs) I really let me have it in my quarterly review. Really good. Sounds like a good evaluation, Matt. I did not hit my KPIs of turning on the microphone. Um, I would say the one of the biggest gripes that I've had this year is probably just the cost of auto repairs. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So my my uh middle child, my daughter, drives a manual transmission um little hatchback car. And um, you know, it's got Would you describe on. it as a hot hatch? No. Okay. <laughs> I'd love to. I love a hot hatch. The Honda Fit is a great little car. It's not hot. I say I own a version of the same and car. It's it's a cool hatch. <laughs> yes, it's very it's a very relaxed hatch. Um yeah, and, and and that's the way we like it for a, you know, a first car for a young driver is uh, uh let's let's have the manual transmission so you can't be looking at the phone and let's also not have a ton of torque. Yeah. Yep. Let's just bop around town at a, at a, at a nice even pace. But anyway, the clutch burned up Oh, and, uh, yeah, slave cylinder, all the stuff, uh, flywheel, the whole thing It's one of those deals where you're like, you're sort of, uh, prepared for what that's going to cost you. And then they tell you the actual number and then you freak out and text all of your friends that know things about cars. And then they all say, yeah, that's about right. And then you just despair of life. Yeah. That's a, that's a good gripe, man. That's, that's an excellent, gripe. excellent gripe. It's never good when you go to your mechanic and you learn a term, like based on what yeah. they're charging you for. Yeah. I'm like, oh, the this bit, and you're like, well, that sounds made up, and you're calling someone or frantically googling, like, not only not made up, expensive. <laughs> yeah, hard I to get go- to. <laughs> I think Google needs a kind of a color indicator, you know, like when you search for certain things and it's clear that you're trying to figure out like, am I in trouble? And like, it brings up the results the way it normally does, but it's color coded, like, you know, green, <laughs> orange, red on how bad it is. So you just type in your oh, thing and the no. whole screen turns red. You're like, Oh no, that's not good. That's not good at all. It's a, a panic version of Clippy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So if you type in clutch kit flywheel, that immediately Google just starts flashing red. Yeah. Run away, run away. (laughs) Yeah. You got it. Well, yeah. Like gives you a decision tree. Like, is this something you want? Cause you're making something fun or is it something you're replacing? Replacing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jed close us out on the gripes giving. So this is one gripe, but it's a gripe in a sense against mother nature. And the process of evolution and the township in which I live all wrapped into one thing. So I, I am fortunate to live in a place that has a lot of trees planted and trees are good. You know, what with the whole, they, they help with um, keeping temperatures more moderate and, you know, having air to breathe and it's, and it's a good thing, except the tree in front of my house, I have discovered is called a ginkgo tree. Now, ginkgo trees, apparently, um, according to, to evolutionary biology, are so ancient that they have no predators. Anything that would have 
gone after ginkgo tree has long since gone extinct, which means that ginkgo trees go buck wild. And here's what they do. They produce these berries that are maybe a little bit smaller than a golf ball. And there are two things that are important to know about them. The first is they are the stickiest substance I've ever experienced in my entire life. If they touch you, you have to scrub your hands to get it off. If they touch your car, you can't go to a car wash, bro. You have to by hand with soap and water scrub where it got touched to get it off. This stuff is glue. It's incredible. Now, that would be bad enough, and you're already like, hey, Mother Nature, you've gone a bit too far here. It gets much, much worse. This fruit smells like a combination of really bad feet plus B.O. plus Limburger cheese. I don't know how anything in nature smells that way, but it is definitely the scent that something has died and has been there a while. All right. Now, I take you back to the idea that it's an ancient tree with no extant predators because it matters because it means that in the fall, when my ginkgo tree decides, you know what? It's berry time. It's time for me to, you know, share the fruits of my labor with the world. It means that my yard is covered with stink glue fruit. What did I do to deserve stink glue fruit? Why would this township plant this tree in front of this house? Who made this decision? Nature, why are you doing this to me? I make music related to environmentalism. You owe me, nature. Take your stink glue fruit (laughs) elsewhere. It is not welcome here. Consider yourself griped. That it had the passion. That's the real gripes giving spirit right there. (laughs) In yeah. a couple of ways. One, the sheer forefulness. And secondarily, uh, been building for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's also an invasive species. It's not supposed to be here. Is it? I don't even know. Yeah, it's a Japanese tree. It this is it for it to be brought here as part of the World's Fair back in like the eighteen hundreds. And um it was like, let's let's look at some of the amazing foliage from around the world. That's also where we got kudzu. But it's is it really invasive species? It's a really wonderful plant in Japan, but it, it 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 just can't stop growing here. It's a different kind of soil, different pH, and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, the the ginkgo tree and kudzu these are Japanese plants that were brought over, and they're totally invasive, and it's really a bad deal. Once again, I've been betrayed by the World's Fair. <laughs> yeah. Once again. Can I add another? First, gripe, the sun sphere and... wasn't full of wigs, and now this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they saved it for the encore. Moon River. Um, listen, um, just I have two words as we close out Gripesgiving, please, and I just want to put them in the ether: Christian nationalism. Now that's worthy of a gripe right there. That's, yeah, sometimes the best gripes are are uh, let the the listener fill them in themselves. And actually, I think this will, this will, uh, this final observation will follow in. I did really appreciate in Jed's excellent impassioned, uh, eloquent gripe. He said, Hey, mother nature in a way that made it sound like somebody overdubbing Samuel L. Jackson in a TBS <laughs> yeah. version of a movie saying another thing and why that ties into the, the two words that Lee gave us, you know, open to interpretation on right. that. We're going to declare emergency off <laughs> we'll move on to your okay. fine questions if you have a question for us you can have us all the way to the end i'll give you some ways you can touch this where you can scroll down to your episode description and click the links you find there uh if you have not a question but just a gripe you want to uh 
send along, uh, we, we'd be happy to receive it. As long as it's not a gripe about the show, don't send us those. Uh, we don't care. <laughs> if we were going to get any better at this, we would have by now. <laughs> we don't care. And let's be honest. We know. Yeah, we, we agree. Yeah. We're just not going to do anything about it. And that's in some ways that is the nature of gripes giving itself as well. Our first question comes in anonymously and says, seeing family during the holidays, one of the things I think about is how differently they see being a good Christian than I do. How do I deal with people who think I'm not a very good Christian and I feel the same about them? Yes, kind of the ultimate holiday question. I'm going to have to see people who I maybe don't want to have too much of a conversation with, or in some ways, as our listener points out, I really don't want to have the conversation they want to have, but we're all here anyway for some reason, all full of turkey, waiting for the football game to start, and now conversation is happening. So, uh, Lee, where do we start this off? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for writing this in and and um, and just say, man, I get it. The holidays are they get celebrated on like you know sappy commercials and stuff like that. It's just the greatest time. You know, you get to see family and everything. And for some of us, that is a complicated issue because the holidays can be such a hard time to be with family, especially when you have family that really, really don't see eye to eye on things that are actually like really important things, things that you care about, things that you maybe have activism in, things that you are putting money or energy or volunteerism into. It's really, really difficult when people who are supposed to be important to you and are supposed to care about your life, like really, really don't care about the things that are to, that are deep and deeply important to you. I don't know that there's a really easy way to engage with certain people and also not have drama. Here's the thing that I would say specifically to the question that you asked is the good news here is that the idea of the race to be a good Christian, it's just a race you can drop out of. It, it, yep. it, doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It, it winds up being one of those things that doesn't matter. And I'm not telling you that your feelings don't matter. What I'm saying is that this idea that there is a, um, that there is a unified standard in the universe of what a good Christian is, and we can and we're all really good at measuring that, that's just that's not really a thing. And so you get to drop out of that. Whereas a related but very different concept is, what does it actually take to be a follower of Jesus, according to the words of Jesus? What does it look like to live out being a follower of Jesus? Here's the good news on this. Mac, like Maximum strength living out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Um, it's not fun. Um, but it is like, you, you really have a chance to do the hard stuff, the AP level stuff when you're with difficult people, when you're with relationships where people are uncool and sometimes hostile, when you are around, uh, people who don't listen to you and don't show you a lot of respect. And yet you have to be in the same room with them, carrying on conversations and stuff like that. Here's what I mean. We're just going to go straight to the words of Jesus, Jesus, straight to the words of scripture. Jesus said, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. I'm not telling you something that I think is easy. And by the way, I'm not telling you something that I'm super good at. I'm just telling you that when we're talking about what does it actually mean to follow Jesus, not anybody's irrational, weird standard of what a quote unquote good Christian is, but just judging by the words of scripture. Jesus said, when people persecute you or when people, are, when people curse you, bless them. They don't know how to respond. When you're kind in response to somebody who's hyper uncool to you, 
Um, and I'm not saying you should take stuff on the chin and be like uh, verbally abused or anything like that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying somebody is uncool. They keep in try- trying to engage you in drama and you deflect it by being kind about their family or about uh, asking about their job or, or um, what have you been into lately? That's just given you a lot of joy. Like, tell me, tell me about your work and, 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 oh man, you've been, you've been working out a lot lately. What do you, what do you enjoy as far as your workout routine? When you can deflect and show kindness and engagement with somebody, even when they're being hyper uncool, the book of Romans says, don't take revenge on people, but instead forgive them. This is, I'm telling you, this is the advanced placement. This is the AP level stuff of what it means to actually follow Jesus. I don't care if anybody thinks I'm a good Christian or not. I do want to understand what it means to follow the actual teachings of Jesus. This is where the rubber meets the road. Forgiving people, blessing people who curse you, smiling at people who are super weird at you for absolutely no reason. Um, The book of Ephesians talks about um, being completely humble and gentle, making every effort, uh, bearing with one another in love and making every effort to keep the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. Man, that's hard stuff. Don't worry about what anybody thinks about what a good Christian is like. But if you find ways to deflect people's drama and weirdness and treat them with forgiveness and peace, finding out strategies to ask them questions about their own life and get them talking about themselves that's not talking about the weird stuff, man, you are a ninja. You you will be a holiday ninja because one of the facts of the universe that is it's been proven over and over and over again in everyone's experience is people love to talk about themselves. If you can get someone talking about themselves because of your curiosity and questions and it doesn't wind up being whatever politics or, you know, you know, weird things about immigrants or trans people or whatever the things are that are just that are going to fire you up and throw you into a dramatic response um, and, you know, put you on a hill where you've got to, you know, defend somebody or whatever those things. If you can find the strategies of engaging somebody in 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 ways that are that are peaceful, that in ways that you are blessing those who curse you and forgiving them, then dude, I don't care what anybody thinks, you are doing the Christian thing at the very highest possible level. Uh, all excellent, excellent stuff. I'm enjoying particularly the idea of the holiday ninja, which I assume is one of the more uh, nefarious special forces, uh, clandestine operations to be sent in the war on Christmas. And I appreciate that very deeply. Uh, Where did Jed, the turkey go? That's right. Jed Lee, it was a lot of great stuff there. What would we add to that? Lee crushed it, man. I mean, I, I agree word for word. And um, I, I'm i Jed Brewer, and I endorse this message. That is all <laughs> great stuff. I'd add a couple things that are kind of – he's already given you all of the practical stuff. These are just kind of a, a couple of conceptual things. Um, you might have heard this phrase before. You might not have. Uh, but the phrase is agree to disagree. Um, that can be a cop out in life and a way to keep from having needed conversations, but there's plenty of times where agree to disagree is as good as we've got. Um, I see things one way, this other person sees things another way. Neither of us have any particular interest in, in changing that. Um, we could spend the next hour arguing about it or we could just let it go. And, um, I think one of the interesting things is that you can actually come to points in life where you kind of need to do the agree to disagree thing, even when you're almost certainly right about 
Um, yeah, you know, yeah. I I feel certain that that Lee and Matt both can back my play of. There's moments in life where you'll be talking to someone and it's a subject where you happen to have some expertise about it. And they're just insisting on something that's factually incorrect. <laughs> and at a certain point, you're just like, okay, that's sure. That that sounds great. Um, I mean, like, dude, I've, I've done music stuff a long time and I, I actually do know a fair amount about recording music. And I semi-regularly will have conversations with musicians that are making records where they are explaining to me what they're going to do and why. And it's dead wrong. And it comes to a certain point where it's clear you have no interest in being talked out of this. I know I'm right about it. That doesn't matter. You have no interest in being talked out of this. So we're going to have to agree to disagree on this, my man. And again, that's fine. Uh, Oftentimes, that is the best option that's available. And actually, to point the the, uh, guilt ray at myself for a second, if you listen to this uh, podcast regularly, you're aware that I'm a little bit of a foodie. And um, that I enjoy both uh, the high end of food and the very, very low end of food. Both are are of interest. Um, But but critically, I'm not a trained chef. I, you know, uh, I've never been to culinary school. I just like food. But so like when Hallie and I will go out to eat, you know, like we'll talk through like I liked this dish and then I like these aspects of this dish and whatnot. And I regularly find myself saying the following. I think dish A is a superior dish like. I think it showcases the skill of the chef better. I think that it, you know, showcases the the regional and the um, seasonal ingredients better. I think that it's it's better executed. I just prefer dish B though. Like if I was having a bad day and I wanted something to make me feel better, I wouldn't order dish A. I'd order dish B. And I'm aware that the chef is back in the kitchen staring hate bullets at me because I am I am wrong. But that's just how, how do you argue with I like dish B better? So um, you know that idea of agree to disagree. I think. We all have moments where, you know, we can be on either side of that and we kind of need to be able to to call that. I want to offer two kind of clarifying questions for you to think about because I think that they're they're useful in trying to figure out, can we go ahead and declare agree to disagree, whether we're saying those words out loud or not? The first question is this. Is their view actually hurting anyone? Hmm. And sometimes that's going to take some thought because maybe we're not sure, but it's worth actually going through and asking, is this hurting anybody? They've got, you know, some view of like, you know, we should only do hymns in church. That's the only kind of valid music there is. Is that really hurting anybody? Probably not. They probably go to a church that where everybody thinks that, and there's a lot of other churches you can go to where they don't think that. So it's, it's probably fine. I'm not going to sign up for it, but that's fine. And then the second clarifying question is, do they have any openness at all? to changing or even re-examining this view. Because if there's no openness here of any kind, then all we're looking at is an argument. It's not a discussion. It's not a conversation. It's an argument that's going to turn into a fight. If they're not hurting anybody and um, they really don't have any openness to changing what they're on, then we are definitely in agree-to-disagree territory. You are not and do not need to try and be the savior of the world or the savior of your family. All of us in the year of our Lord 2023 are going to have to pick our battles. And if you're dealing with something, we're like, nah, it's not my jam and it's probably not great, but it's, it's not immediately setting the world on fire. And they're definitely not looking to be on anything else. Give yourself complete permission to let it go. Um, that, that very, very often that is the, the best case scenario. 
Past that, it all boils down to all the stuff that Lee already told you. I would encourage you to rewind and go back and listen to that again. It's it's amazing, amazing stuff. Uh, meanwhile, we're we're praying for you, we're rooting for you, and good luck with the family. Absolutely right. Great stuff from both these guys. I would <laughs> I would kind of add to what Jed gave us there. Of there's there's kind of a third category of uh, where you know this isn't going to do any good, but you're just tired of hearing what this person has to say and you are going to push back on that because you feel like someone needs to maybe not always the best route to go, but if you see these people once a year, then you know, <laughs> again, in the same way that Jed said, you know, you don't, you don't need to, to save the world in this. You also don't have to, there's this weird thing that has developed where you have to be perfectly cool and rational while other people get to be wildly bigoted and emotional. And because you're trying to win some kind of weird debate that there's no, audience for uh you're not debating anyone this this is this is uncle ronnie spouting his opinions um you if you want to you know hit back that's fine um i will point out as i have many times before on the show that the if you think you have the perfectly logical constructed airtight well said uh, argument just know that it can be undone with no yeah i read on the (laughs) facebook um so again, that's, if this is what you need emotionally out of that, then that's that's cool. But it's good to it's good to be honest that that's what's going on, and that can help you navigate what you actually want out, want or need out of these interactions. Um, but uh, yes, I would default definitely to the great stuff that these guys gave you. Without we're gonna move on to our next question, it comes in and says, "I don't really feel thankful. Lots of stuff is bad, and it's been a hard year. Why should I put effort into trying to be thankful? It feels fake." A a lovely question, one we definitely appreciate. And uh, Lee, where do we start off here? Well, um, yeah, thanks for writing it in. One thing you might try is your own version of Gripes Giving. So we, I think we started the show off well for you uh, in that respect. I, the I rare actually, instance of the helpful emergency. <laughs> I actually think it's really important for you to be honest about what you're feeling. And so yep. it, it, it's cool for you to write in the way that you have. Um. I do want to acknowledge a couple of things that are probably getting in that are probably getting in your way, and I don't blame you for this at all. It's it's a lot of the culture, especially if you're uh, coming up in church culture, is that you feel that if you aren't, um, you know, sitting in your community group or your Sunday school class and sharing, um, you know, highs and lows and the thing you were super grateful for this week then you are behind the eight ball or you are a bad Christian or you're not doing this well. Um, That kind of a cultural thing can really put a block in the way of what gratitude is actually supposed to be doing. Now um, I'm going to change gears here and, and, and talk about why I do think gratitude is important, but I want to be really, really careful. And, and I want you to understand that I appreciate your honesty. And I think that you're, your insistence on your own kind of emotional integrity is an important thing. Uh, I don't want to diminish that in any way. Um, you, you don't want to feel like you're being phony. That's, that's an important deal. And we want to acknowledge that's something really cool about you. Um, I want to try to sell you on gratitude, but I don't want to sell it to you maybe in the way that you've experienced it before. I, I don't want to tell you that what you need to do with your gratitude is you need to, you know, harness some gratitude and then you need to sell it to your Christian community in a way that, you know, engenders a bunch of praise and stuff in other people. Um, stuff like that can happen. 
Um, it's, it's not really your responsibility to make other people feel stuff. Um, what I want to sell to you is the idea that I think that take all of the Christian stuff out of it, take all of the churchy experiences that you may have had out of this thing. Gratitude, I think is a dynamically powerful feeling, um, or it's a dynamically powerful act that you can grow and strengthen that can change the way that you feel. Um, I suggest that to you because you're saying, I don't feel grateful. That's an important thing. Um, so what do you feel? You may feel frustrated. You may feel angry. You may feel um, deprived. All of those things are, I'm, I'm guessing, pretty warranted by the things that you've experienced. All that stuff's important. None of those things are very comfortable, and none of those things are very fun. And without changing your circumstances, could we introduce more peace and more calm? If you have stress and anxiety, or if you have the feelings of frustration or anger, could we get to a place where we are experiencing a little more calm and a little more peace? I think that gratitude has the ability to do that even when the circumstances are not perfect. And I think the way that you do that is not, we're not trying to access gratitude as a way for you to show off in front of other Christians. We're not trying to access gratitude in a way for you to post about it on your media's social or anything like that and make a big show about it. What I want to suggest is you start really, really small. You don't have to tell anybody about it. And you just take beats, just take a beat in a moment where you enjoyed something in your day and consider that. I enjoyed that. I liked that piece of pie or that was a really good cup of coffee or I enjoyed that conversation with my friend. That song that just came up on my shuffle on this playlist was the perfect song for this moment. I'm talking about tiny stuff in your day where you experience something positive and just recognizing I enjoyed that. Let's start there. That's not even really gratitude yet. That's just a taking note that I enjoyed that experience. And then would you attribute that to someone? Maybe you're at a place where you're like, I'm not ready to attribute this stuff to God because God and I are in a weird place. Or maybe you're like, actually God and I are fine. I just some of, this, some of the way Christians talk about this gratitude stuff has just gotten in my head. That's totally fine. What I'm talking about is a private moment in your own head space where you recognize, I liked this. I felt good, even if it was just for a moment. I want to take a minute and consider that. And when I'm ready, I'm going to say thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I liked that moment. Um, let it be small stuff. I, I was sitting out on the porch um, the other day and noticed in a pine tree, there was a bird that I have not seen or heard in over a year in my town. And I was really excited about that. That's a nerdy thing, particular to me, but, and my age as a male, but I really, really enjoyed it. And it was like 20 seconds of my day. And it was like, oh my goodness, that's fantastic. Look at that. And it wasn't something that I posted about, or now I'm telling you about it, but it was just a moment to stop and to recognize I am enjoying this moment for this reason. I totally think your the integrity of what you're feeling is important. 
but I want to encourage you to move towards gratitude and start by recognizing tiny little moments or things in your day that you appreciate or enjoy. Start there, and maybe we can move towards gratitude, because I do believe that gratitude enables us to enjoy our life in a different way, even when our circumstances are not absolutely perfect. I think it's a fantastic place to start that off. And Jed, where do we go from there? Love every bit of that. And I want to echo Lee by saying, you have the official permission of the Say That podcast to not be thankful and to be mad at the world, at least for a little while. Yeah, right. If if that's what you need to do, we all have moments where that's what we need to do. That's fine, man. I don't, I don't think you want to stay there in perpetuity, but, you know, um, we, we, all, we all need moments of that. So you say that, uh, you don't feel thankful. Lots of bad stuff has happened. It's been a really hard year. I totally hear that. I would offer kind of a a big picture thought to consider, and then I want to offer you my personal opinion and experience. Here's the big picture thought. You can only move forward from where you are. If things are bad and you want to move forward, you can only move forward from where you are. You can't move forward from where you wish you were. You can't move from forward from where you think it would be fair for you to be or where you ought to be. You can only start a course. You can only go from where you actually are. Now, the question is, do you have an accurate sense of where you are? Because if we don't have an accurate sense of where we are, it's going to be very, very difficult to chart a course forward. And the big, big, big picture problem that we may be facing And I want to be clear, I would hate for someone to tell me what I'm about to tell you. It would really bug the snot out of me. And so you have my complete permission to be very displeased with what I'm about to say. If you're only acknowledging the bad stuff in your life, then your view of where you are is inaccurate. Again, I would hate for someone to say that to me. Therefore, I'm sorry to say it to you, but it's super necessary and it bears repeating. If you're only acknowledging the bad stuff in your life, then you do not have an accurate picture of where you are. And you can't chart a course forward if you don't know where you are. That's big picture. Now let me share kind of my personal experience with you and my personal opinion with you. When I experience joy, for me, it's like a very, very tiny flashlight turns on inside of me, in my world. And because of that tiny, tiny, tiny little flashlight, I can see a lot more clearly what is and what is not going on around me. If you've ever been out where it's really, really, really dark, like you're not close to any cities anywhere and it's a cloudy night and it's super, super dark. If you flip a lighter or you light one little candle, it provides way more illumination than you'd think. It's kind of bonkers just how much you can see off of one little light under the right conditions. And in my experience, joy is like I am in this really incredibly dark place and all of a sudden I can see like a hundred times more than I could before. Mm. Even if it's just this little bit of light, I can see what is and isn't going on around me. I can make way more effective decisions because I have a sense of what it is I'm trying to do. I can get where I'm going way, way more easily because I can see. For me, joy does that, and it does that pretty consistently. And again, for me, choosing to give thanks and choosing to cultivate a practice of gratitude 
is one way that I am able to experience that illuminating quality of joy. Let me tie this back to what I started with for you. I'm not suggesting that you practice gratitude because in some airy-fairy way it's the right thing to do. I'm suggesting that you practice gratitude because if you're in a stink pit and you want to get out of it, having some light is going to help you get out of it. I would like Mm. for you to not be in a bad place any longer than you absolutely have to. And the more accuracy that we have, the more we can see, the more quickly and readily and reliably are we going to be able to exit the muck and the mire in which we currently find ourselves. And gratitude is one of the ways that we can turn on the lights and see things more clearly. But the funny thing is honesty is the other key way that we can turn on the lights. And that's part of why you hear all of us saying to you, you deserve some moments in your life where you can be honest about how you feel and about the bad stuff that is going on. In fact, if you cultivate a life where you are regularly honest with yourself and hopefully with some other trusted people about the bad stuff that's happening and about the good stuff that's happening, which is basically what a practice of gratitude is, I think you may find it transformative of just just how impactful it is, how many changes you can make, how quickly you can make them, how much you can improve things. To package it all together, in a lot of recovery circles, one of the maxims that gets uh, repeated a lot, which is very helpful and is what we're describing here, is facing life on life's terms. Hmm. If you want to get to a better place in life, the most direct way to do that is to face life on life's terms. Not the life you wish you had, but life as it actually is, the life that is actually in front of you. Face life on life's terms. That will require being honest about the bad stuff, but it will also require being honest about the good stuff. The more light you have, the better you can see and the better you can take that journey. That's fantastic stuff from both of these guys. Uh, Another term from the recovery world that came to mind as as, uh, Lee and Jed were talking here is um, they would say an attitude of gratitude, which is one of those little snippy, uh, pithy sayings. And it can, as Jed pointed out, it's one that can get real annoying real fast. But I think there is a real something at the heart of that, especially when you look at people who have been going through a rough time and are trying to turn that around. I think that is one of the powers that gratitude has um, because one of the things that I find in my life and I think is pretty universal is whether it is the, the gratitude or the gripe uh, such as it were, um, if you really get in a habit of letting one of those dominate the way you see things, you're going to find what you're looking for one way or the other. Yep. If you set out to be thankful, grateful, positive, however you want to put it um, in the exact same situation, as in, you know, the, in the same days, if you had that mindset, you might find a couple extra things to be grateful about, which is lovely. If you have the everything sucks and nothing is as good as it should be and uh, woe is me, then you're probably going to find plenty of evidence for that as well. Um, and maybe a little bit more if that's what you're looking for. And one of the ways I, I tend to check myself on that is it, pretending it's another person. We've all had that person in our lives where you're out and you're eating something. You say, this is really good. And they're like, I mean, it was better last time we were here. <laughs> like, Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I guess, Oh, well, why don't we, why don't we walk back from the restaurant? It's very nice out today. Ah, it's supposed to rain tomorrow. 
Well, I, but it's nice today. Yeah. But think about tomorrow. Do you have your umbrella out? You better get that. I don't know if I mentioned it. it's going to rain tomorrow. Like, well, none of this is, none of this is new information. None of this is helping. This is just kind of having a weirdly knocking the knees out from anything positive. Now there is the flip side of that, where if, if it's pouring rain, the person's like, you know, we could walk anyway. It's great. It's invigorating. Like, well, no, it's, it's sleeting. That's unpleasant. We could just admit it's unpleasant <laughs> and like call an Uber. That's fine. Like, no, it's the best it's ever been. No, no, it's not. That's too far the other way. But um, again, what you set out to find, you will often find. So it's important to, to kind of get a hold of what you're, what you're going through, what you're looking to have. If you're in one of those seasons of, of kind of venting and just having that anger, that's again, these, these guys pointed out nothing inherently unhealthy about that. But one of the negatives side effects of that is you're probably going to find more and more unpleasantness in your sight as you do that. So it is very good to mix in some gratitude, some thankfulness, some positivity, however you want to put it for no other reason than uh, once you start identifying it, you might find more of it and that will almost certainly be a positive development. All right. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, I see the story of the widow's offering used to say that people should give money, even if it puts them in financial distress. That seems really wrong, but it does also seem to be like what the story is saying. Am I missing something? Another great question. Lee, where do we start off here? Okay. So this is, um, I believe I'm, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong. I, I was thinking it was in the gospel of Mark, but it might be in the gospel of Luke. Regardless, this is a story where Jesus is at the temple and um, it's one of those moments where Jesus demonstrates his own, um, like his own authority to be a completely different human being than every single other human being, because he literally just sits across from the place where people are putting in their offerings and he's just watching people do that. That's like not normal. Like that's not a, that's not a thing that normal citizens were doing is just sitting there and then taking upon himself to have opinions about how people were doing that. I have never really heard, and, and this is wild, um, and maybe these guys are different, but it's wild because I've been to lots and lots and lots of church services. I've never heard anybody have that particular interpretation that you're talking about with the story, and maybe people do that with that story. Obviously, you've experienced that. And first of all, we should say that like, Biblical inter- interpretation is tricky business that should be handled with care for sure. But let me just give you the take that I've always had from that story. And then let's make sure that we bring in the context of other things that the Bible says about giving money, especially giving money to the Lord um, and generosity. Um, the thing that I've always taken from that story is that Jesus, not only is he keenly aware of everyone's generosity or lack of generosity, but he knows the intention behind all of that giving or not giving. He knows why people have the generosity or lack of generosity that they have. And he's pointing out about this lady that she's at the end of a rope and she is demonstrating that she is trusting herself completely to the Lord. She doesn't have really anything. And she's giving herself completely to the Lord, trusting that he's going to take care of her. By the way, that's in the context of her people for thousands of years 
heard God declare himself as the father to the fatherless and the one who takes care of the widows. Um, this is not a, a, a thing where this lady's just like throwing herself off a cliff and God, I hope you catch me. This is who God has always said that he is. And Jesus is like, she's demonstrating her trust that God takes care of widows and that he's going to take care of the poor. Um, and, and she is throwing herself into the care of the Lord. She doesn't have anything to begin with. But um, what we need to do is also draw in the context of what else the, the scripture says about generosity and giving. The scripture is very clear when uh, the, the apostle Paul is writing in uh, Corinthians, when he says that God loves a cheerful giver. God does not want gifts to be given out of compulsion. In fact, what he says is each person should give what they've decided in their own heart to give and um, not under compulsion so that they can do so joyfully. That is, this is what the scripture says about giving. So we learn a few things in this. One is there is, this is super important for all people who are, you know, going to church or trying to follow Jesus, whatever, listening to preachers talk about giving money. There is no standard percentage that everyone has to give. There is not that thing. The scripture says each one should give what they have decided in their own heart to give, not under compulsion. And God wants you to be happy with what you're giving. God wants that to be a joyful experience that you're glad you're participating in. You need to have balance in your life. You're going to have to pay bills. You're going to have to eat food. If you have a car, you're going to have to put gas in your car. If you don't, you're going to have to buy metro tickets. Like you're going to have to pay rent or a mortgage or something like that. You're going to have to put, buy clothes. You're going to have to have some fun. You're going to have to have a balanced life, in other words. Now, in the midst of your balanced life, how could you be generous in a way that demonstrates that you trust God with your life? in a way that people that don't know God don't, that you trust God to meet your needs. And how can you demonstrate with the way that you give to the Lord that it gives you joy to do that? It gives you joy to trust him, and it gives you joy to participate in the ways that he is bringing hope and justice and help into the world. How can you participate in those things by your generosity? I do believe generosity is a muscle that you can get stronger by doing it more. But to me, the story of this widow is a story of Jesus saying, hey, just so you know, I know why people give and why they don't. I know when people give because they think it makes them look good. I know when people give give because they've been compelled and they feel guilty and they feel terrible about it. And I know when somebody gives because they're demonstrating their love and their trust for God. And that's what we want to aim at, is a cheerful giver who's decided what they're going to give, demonstrating their trust and love for God, and wanting to participate in the ways that he's bringing hope and love and justice into the world. Extremely well put. Also, uh, Lee was more right than he knew, because uh, the story we're referring to, I looked up, is found in both uh, Luke 21 and Mark 12. Ah, okay. A twofer from our own Lee Younger there. Uh, So great stuff to start that off. And Jed, where would we pick it up? This is a great question, and I want to. I'm going to share with you just my personal opinion about some stuff related to the Bible, but I, I do want to encourage you to think about it. Which is, most stories that are either told by Jesus, you know, that are parables, or they are stories 
about Jesus, basically, if it's a story and Jesus is connected with it, the overwhelming majority of of those stories, in in my view, have a lot of layers of meaning. Mm. There is very rarely, here is the way you should read this. Like, the idea of, like, there being one right reading, I think, is pretty darn rare. And it's actually something I really find intriguing about about Jesus, Uh, both what he said and the stories they told, is that I think Jesus was pretty reluctant to give people easy outs on things, which I really, really like. Like one of the things that doesn't get commented about the historical person of Jesus of Nazareth very often, but I think is really worth considering is there are a lot of things you could say, but that dude was smart. Yeah. Like this was a really, really smart guy. And he knew a lot about human nature and he knew that people love to have a sound bite and wrap everything up with a nice bow where they don't have to think about it anymore. And I think Jesus kind of went out of his way to give people very, very few things that would fall in that category of here is your nice sound bite summary. And it's five, it's three points in a poem and you can just repeat it. And so what do we do with that? I think the, the first thing that we do is to recognize Jesus intends for us to wrestle with almost everything that he said. He intends for us to think about it. He intends for us to um to ponder it and and to and to go over it. I mean, think about the phrase um from from the Lord's prayer, forgive us as we forgive our debtors. Think about the inherent tension built into that phrase because two things are true. All of us, every single one of us want to experience perfect limitless forgiveness and none of us are ever going to offer that to other human beings. And so we are praying for a disconnect. We are, we are begging to receive an infinitely understanding and kind mercy. Even as we're saying, we know that we don't do it ourselves, but it would be great if we did, but we don't. What do you do with that, man? I think you're meant to wrestle with that. I think you are meant to wrestle with that. And similarly, I think that in the story of the widow's might, there's a lot that we are intended to wrestle with. If we look at, in the Gospel of Mark, what has happened right before it, and I want to be clear, I'm about to put some interpretation on this by assuming that these are chronological events, which maybe they are and maybe they're not. This is an ancient text. We don't know. But let's assume for a second that they are. The first thing that happens in um, this book, uh, in this chapter, right, uh, or actually right before it, so let's go to uh, verse 28, is this whole... uh, uh, incredibly important interchange about what is the most important commandment. And this is where we land on the idea of you should love the Lord, your God with everything you've got, and you should love your, your neighbors yourself. And Jesus says that, you know, the, everything is, is built on these two, right? Then we don't know if this is chronological, but the next thing that happens in the chapter is that Jesus is basically putting sick burns on the religious leaders of the time. In fact, I'm going to to read you from, um, I'm in the message translation, but this is Jesus talking. Watch out for the religion scholars. They love to walk around in academic gowns, preening in the radiance of public flattery, basking in prominent positions, sitting at the head table at every church function, and all the time they are exploiting the weak and helpless. The longer their prayers, the worse they get, but they'll pay for it in the end. That is quite the rebuke. I mean, it's interesting to have gone from, let me tell you what really, really matters. It's loving God with everything you've got and loving your neighbor. And then the next thing within the chapter is this huge rebuke 
And then the next thing that comes right after that is the story of the widow's mite. Literally, we finish the quote from Jesus. Sitting across from the offering box, Jesus was observing how the crowd tossed money into the collection. Are Jesus's comments here, are they meant as a further commentary on the religion scholars? Because it kind of goes right along with what he's just describing. I mean, all the bad behavior that he's just describing then is on display as he's sitting and he's watching the offering box. Is this a story about generosity? Is it a story about hypocrisy and about a religious hypocrisy? Is it a story about what it means for us to love God and how that would inform uh, the way that we handle our finances? I don't know. Maybe it's a story about all those things. Maybe it's only a story about one of them. Maybe there's an interplay between all of them. I don't know. And here's the thing. Your pastor doesn't know either. And the guy that wrote the book that they want you to read, he doesn't know either. Everybody is giving you their best guess. And that's cool. You're meant to wrestle with this. You are meant to wrestle with the things that Jesus said. They're not meant to be obvious, in my opinion. So what do we do? We balance the things in Scripture that we are meant to wrestle with that by design don't have clear meaning with the things that definitely do have clear meaning. Lee has already walked through how New Testament and Old Testament both, the Bible is crystal clear that we are to look after orphans and widows in their distress, that we are to look out for the vulnerable, that we are to take care of people who are going through a hard time, that we are to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit the sick and the imprisoned. And so whatever this text may or may not mean, it definitely does not mean that God wants people who are already poor and disadvantaged and indigent to be even worse. Right. We know for sure that it does not mean that because that would fly in the face of a hundred other things in Scripture that are meant to be clear cut. And this maybe is the most valuable thing that I could offer to you, both for this question and for other things, is when you're reading Scripture, be aware of things that are meant for you to wrestle with them. They are meant to plant a seed in your brain where you need to think about this. You need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You don't know what it means. You've got to work it out versus things where, no, there is a clear, obvious meaning here. Don't be mean to poor people. The Bible is very, very clear. This is a case where we have both holding each other to account in this book. Mm. That's absolutely right. I think, again, we look to a situation in scripture that is judge described here has a lot going on. It's a very short story, but there's a lot of, a lot of characters, a lot of implication as, as Lee pointed out, it's very unique kind of among biblical stories. It's unique, uh, shows Jesus's uniqueness, but I, I feel pretty comfortable interpreting the Bible in this case and saying that what it's not saying is that you should give your rent rent check to your church. Nope. Right. Um, I don't really see it going that way. Um, is there an idea that everybody should give and it's, it's, it's a blessing to give and giving it out of your, out of places in your life where you have deficit. And maybe if that's time, maybe that's enthusiasm, maybe that's uh, uh, other issues that are non-monetary. That's cool too. But uh, the idea that, as you say, that this is kind of abused and saying that you should give till it hurts or give till whatever. Um, no, Here's the thing. It it super doesn't say that. So if someone tries to tell you that it says that, you can use the plausible deniability there and go, unless you can show me in uh, you know, black and white or red and white, whatever, where it says, I gotta give this amount of money or give this a bit so that I can't do that or it doesn't count. Eh, you're kind of just making stuff up there. And here's the thing, as Jed points out, everybody's making stuff up about some of this to some extent, but 
they don't get to uh, pretend they're not when it comes to paying them. That is not yep. really a way that goes. All right. Thank you for your amazing questions. You have a question for us at podcast.gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com, slash ask. I'm going to keep that entirely anonymous. Hey, the song this week. This is from Jed Brewer. It is called You Have Better. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God bless you. There's nothing you can do about it. You have better for me than I have for myself. You were sad in heaven when we deserve hell. You offer me things that will not fade away like the love of a father who is here to stay. And I don't know how to be and I don't know how to live And I tried what made sense to me But it was all just counterfeit You have better for me than I have for myself You were sad enough, heaven, when we deserved hell that are fleeting and I want things that won't last but you offer forever a future instead of a would kill me and I want what won't fill me up but you refuse to cheat me with anything less than the gift of your son you